0: That song gets me amped, I love it. I think you guys love it too. Good morning, how are you church? I like that, I like that. I like, um, I like some, some vocalness, you know, back and everything. Hey, if you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Pastor Chad. I get to, uh, to step in and fill the pulpit this morning while Pastor Ed is celebrating what I, I think is his sixty sixth or 67th birthday, I could have checked. I, don't, I literally don't remember. Um, But I'm happy to get to to be here and open the word uh, with you guys uh, this morning. So hopefully you'll you'll join in and engage with that. Uh, My uncle is a pastor actually in Cape Coral and he planted a church there years ago. And as a teenager and, and young adult, man, I loved when he uh, would come and visit at like Christmas or Thanksgiving because it gave us an opportunity to talk about theology and the Bible and the church and God and things of, those, uh, n- things of that nature. There did come a time in my life, though, where I more looked forward to talking to him just so I could trip him up and irritate him and and, and give him uh, some stress over those uh, kinds of things. I remember uh, one time in particular, I was really laying into the church. Uh, I was very accusatory of the church. And when I say the church, I mean Christian people. Right, they're, man, they're judgmental, and they're not very nice, and they're not very accepting, and uh, they're hypocritical, and all those kind of things that we sometimes hear people say about Christians. Uh, now, uh, I, I said these things for two reasons. On, on one hand, uh, I, I felt... Like I had seen that, I had observed that in Christian people, but the bigger reason uh, was that at that time in my life, uh, my values weren't exactly lined up with the Bible, and I was looking for any excuse I could to sort of push the church away and avoid uh, that whole thing. I didn't want to be convicted of sin, right? Makes sense. Now, I remember this so distinctly and I think about it all the time because my, my uncle looked at me with these like sincere and almost saddened eyes and he just said, but Jesus loves the church. Right? This, these people that you are putting on blast, like Jesus loves the church uh, in all of um, our messiness and mistakes, like when Christians um, hurt each other, when we do wrong Jesus loves the church. Jesus gave his life for the church. We exist only because of and for Jesus. Uh, Jesus loves the church. And if if we fully grasped the depth of the love of Jesus for his church, we will more quickly uh, bend to his desire or maybe I should even say bend ourselves to his commands for what the church should be. Uh, Today, we're going to wrap up this series uh, called Identity Crisis. The title of the message is The Church Jesus Saw. And Pastor Ed has talked about how uh, the church as as a whole, the big, the capital C Church, uh, is having a bit of an identity crisis, uh, especially in the U.S., We're trying to be something we're not supposed to be so that we can sometimes make ourselves appealing uh, to others. And this series has really tried to focus on what, what are we supposed to be as a church? What are we supposed to do? And hear me on this. Our identity as a church should not come from the opinion of people. Our identity as a church does not change based on the feelings and the whims of men. Our identity as a church comes completely and wholly from the word of God. All right. And, and that right there is what we're going to look at today. We're going to, we're going to jump into two passages of scripture spoken by Jesus to sort of define what is the church that Jesus saw. And most of us have probably heard of these two passages. They're really great. Uh, they're called the great commandment and the great commission. All right. So first we're going to jump into the great commandment. We're going to look in Mark chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, would love for you to go to Mark chapter 12. And we'll start in verse 28 and read there. And it says this, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all, now a little bit of context here for this passage. Jesus is being questioned by different religious leaders. They've come and they've asked him about taxation. They've asked him about the resurrection of the dead, and Jesus has answered them all really well. I mean, Jesus knows the word. He is God. Uh, he, he's going to be rather good at that. But here comes a, a loaded question: What is the greatest commandment, Jesus? Uh, you know, I mean. After all, when we think about God, what commandment of his is gonna outweigh the others? And yet, scripture's clear, there are weightier matters of the law. And and here is, is one of them. Verse 29, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And from that, we see this first part of the church Jesus saw. A church should be characterized by worship. A church should be characterized by worship. When Jesus uh, said that, he was quoting from all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And those verses were summarizing the law of, related to the relationship of God and people. What is one of the purposes of God's law is to show us how to love him. It's to show us how to serve him. It's to show us how to worship him. All those words, love, serve, worship, they could be used interchangeably. That's what one of the purposes of the law is for. But I like this definition right here of worship and I want you to like grab this and I want you to hold on to it. You're gonna hear it again in the future. It's this, worship is our response to God because of his infinite worth. A couple of songs ago, we sang about it. We sang how worthy he is. Worship is our response to God because of his infinite worth. So I want us today to think about worship in the sense of what we value and what we find worthy of our love. Because when Jesus says here to love him with all your heart and your soul, and your mind, and with all your strength, he is speaking of every piece of us that makes us human, every ounce of our very being. Our heart and soul implies our affections, our emotions, our feelings. These should all be of love towards God. Like we should have some kind of passion towards God, when we, when we hear about what he's done. We should celebrate him in some way, in the same way that all those people hollered for Florida State, all right? God should get us more hype than football, okay? We could, I feel like we could do a test, and I, I, but I'm too afraid to, okay? Anyway, we're gonna go on. Our mind, our mind, our our thoughts and thinking, those should be of love towards God. Our strength, our actions, what we do, that should be of love towards God. Here's something I've learned about people. Every single person, they do exactly what they want to do, all right? And the things that we want to do and the things that we end up doing are the very things we find the most worth in are they not if you find worth in it you will do it if you find worth in it you will think about it if you find worth in it you will be passionate about it so whether that is like an individual or whether that is the whole of the church body the thing we find the most worth in that is what we worship and that is our God our little g God And we know we can evaluate ourselves. So don't we find the most worth in with exactly what Jesus said? If I evaluate my feelings, if I evaluate my heart and soul, what do I get excited and passionate about? What is that thing that grips me? And I can sit around and talk about that thing for hours that lights my soul up, right? That is what I find worth in. That is what I worship. That is my God. What is, the, what is the thing that occupies my mind and thoughts? It could be a good or a bad thing. Some of us, uh, our minds are, are occupied by some person in our past that we absolutely despise, but we can't stop thinking about them, right? They live, as we say, in our head, rent-free. Uh, why? Why? Whatever you find yourself thinking about, that is what you find worth in. That is what you worship That is your God. I can take the words Jesus said, I can evaluate my actions, what I put my strength towards, right? What do I spend my time on? What do I spend my money on, all right? That's what we find worth in. That is what we worship. That is our God. And yet it's clear there's one God and to value and find worth in any other things above him is to worship those things instead of him. Now, how does a body of believers do that? How do we keep ourselves on track? Well, we prioritize the clear direction of scripture for the church, Why do we do any of the things we do? Because scripture tells us to. Why do we gather on Sunday? Scripture tells us to. Why do we sing songs to God? Scripture tells us to. Why do we open the word and we preach from it? Scripture tells us to. Why do we gather during the week with other Christians for uh, mutual care and fellowship? Scripture tells us to. Why do we do anything we do? Scripture tells us to. And when we live by Scripture, we know that we're rightly loving God. We know that we're rightly worshiping God. And this is one of the things, it's one of the ways that Jesus saw the church. The church is characterized by The worship of God. Jesus goes on. The church should also be characterized by ministry. Says this in verse 31 of the great commandment. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We've all heard that before. When Jesus said this, he was quoting from way back in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. These things that he's saying, they're straight out of the Old Testament. Now when we think about love of neighbor in the context of a church body, the word we use for it is ministry. And the church does ministry really in two two ways. We do internal ministry, that's how we love and care for each other, the things we do uh, for one another. And then we do ministry uh, externally uh, towards those outside of the church. So that first thing, look at what it says in 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, that's each of us, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That term, one another, over a hundred times in the New Testament, it is used to tell us how we are supposed to care for and love and encourage and treat and give to and rebuke and teach, etc., 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 the people that are part of our church community. It is a characteristic of the church that we use what God has given us to serve each other. Then there's ministry outside of the church. And I think a really good verse to help us grasp what that looks like is Micah 6:8. 6, Micah 6.8 says this: He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Now, walk humbly with your God, that's worship. That's worship. But these other words like kindness and justice, that defines what ministry looks like. Oftentimes, if you're familiar with that verse, you don't hear it as love kindness, you hear it as love mercy, but these words... Are the same. So when we think about the ministry the church does, kindness is doing a food drive for the mission of Winter Haven. There's people who have needs. Let's meet those needs. Let's show them mercy. We don't expect anything back from them. We're showing them mercy. We meet their needs. We care for them in distress. We weep with them when they grieve. We show mercy when we extend kindness without any expectation of return. But then there's also justice and justice is concerned with what is morally right and fair so morally right the church should stand up for what God says is right in his word we should speak out about what God says is right in his word that is being salt and light as the Bible puts it we as a church do not shy away under the pressure of the world that says conform to what the world wants no 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 We live under the commands of God and we do justice when we live under the commands of God. But not just morally right, also what is morally fair. Throughout the Bible, we see this uh, example in the standing up for those who don't really have a voice to stand up for themselves. Oftentimes that is the poor, that is the widow, that is the orphan and the church has and is given a responsibility uh, by God to stand up for those people. That is how we do ministry. And we do that by using what God has given us, be it influence, be it money, be it it speaking ability, be it in whatever it is, the church uses it. So the church is characterized. Jesus saw the church as a place for worship and ministry. Now here is what concerns me. A lot of churches, a lot of churches have started to take ministry and put it over worship. So that we have become charity centers and not houses of God. All right, now let me explain. Churches, in order to be more acceptable to a world that already hates God, has emphasized doing good works. Look how nice we are. And has de-emphasized preaching the gospel. Why? Well, the gospel tells you you can't live the way you live. The gospel tells you you are a sinner. And you can't live for self. You got to live for God. The gospel is super offensive if we think about what the gospel says. People don't like the gospel, all right. So the it, but church, when we shy away from preaching the gospel, all right? I'm not getting mad. I'm peaceful. I'm good. All right? I'm not getting mad. It's good. Mm, we're good. Okay. Here's charity without the gospel is nothing. Okay. Charity without the gospel is nothing. Charity without the gospel is an air-conditioned ride to hell. That's all it is, all right? It's not a cuss word if I say it in that context, okay? Church, we have to have this rightly ordered, okay? Love of God worship comes before love of others ministry. It has to be in that order, right? So to keep that in check, to keep that in check, to keep the focus where it mainly should be, listen to what Jesus says in the Great Commission. We're gonna go a little bit to the left in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, right here at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. We're gonna look at verses 18 through 20. 18 through 20. It says this, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Uh, Let me, let's take a moment, just talk about that right there. This moment, like we're closing out the gospel of Matthew. We have the summation of Jesus's final words before he leaves earth to be back in heaven. And he drops this word authority in church. This authority matters because none of us live without some other type of authority that we have to answer to, right? I have to answer to Pastor Danny. Pastor Danny has to answer to Pastor Ed. Pastor Ed has to answer to Miss Nancy. Okay, we all, we all, and I'm making a joke, okay? But we all, you know, we all have an authority in our lives. Even the most powerful person that's on this earth right now will still answer to God, all right? We all have an authority. Jesus is the authority, all right? So when he gives us this command, the great commission, we're operating under the ultimate authority. And here is this command, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples, Go therefore and make disciples. Jesus saw the church as a place that is characterized by evangelism. Evangelism. And I'm going to make this comment really quick, right? It says to make disciples, not just get professions of faith. Okay? Make disciples, not just get professions of faith, right? But evangelism. A disciple cannot be made if they are not told the good news of Jesus. All right. Romans 10, 13 through 14 says this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And that's exactly what evangelism is. It is preaching. It is telling the others the good news of Jesus. Not necessarily on a platform in the pulpit. No, one-on-one on the street, at your job, in your home, evangelism. And that, that message of evangelism, the good news of Jesus sounds like this. We are sinners in need of the grace of God. In our sin, we can't even know God. And in fact, we are already consigned to eternal death. But God sent his son, Jesus, to die in our place, to take the punishment of sin, to conquer death through coming back to life so that we now can have eternal life and know God fully with actual hope for the future. When we evangelize, we tell people this good news and we call them to repentance and belief in Jesus Christ, that they will repent of sinful Living, and that they will still instead turn to live for Jesus and that they will believe fully and trust on the work that he accomplished on the cross to earn them their salvation with God. That is what we preach, okay? Why? Because when people hear it, they believe it, they're saved, they're brought into the fellowship of the church, they're made to be a worshiper of God, they're made to participate in the ministry of the church and also evangelize others. In church, and I'm talking to Heartland right now, and myself, we have not done a good job in in the world of evangelism. We have not. So here is a goal. A goal is in the spring to have actual evangelism training. I'm a big fan of the Three Circles Evangelism tool. So let's learn how we can effectively have gospel conversations with people, all right? Be looking forward to that and praying about that. I mentioned this word a second ago because it's the next thing that Jesus saw the church as. A church is characterized by fellowship. A church is also characterized by fellowship. He continues in verse 19 of the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The first step of obedience in the Christian faith outside of repentance and belief is baptism, all right? And give me a second because I'm going to relate baptism to fellowship, okay? We here at Heartland, we are a Baptist church. We believe that baptism is rightly done by immersing someone completely in water. Let me explain why. When somebody is immersed in water, it is a picture of the gospel. Jesus died, he was buried, he was resurrected in the same way the Christian has died to self. They've been buried with Christ, receiving the benefits of his death, the payment of our sin. And now they're raised to, to, to a new life, all right? Now this is not to be mean, but sprinkling does not picture the gospel. It doesn't, okay? I'm sorry for our friends that do that, right? We also believe that baptism should happen when an individual can make a personal profession of faith in Jesus Christ, right? As one of the best preachers of all time, Charles Spurgeon said, we don't wet babies, they wet themselves, (laughs) We baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because this person is receiving a new identity. How are we identified? Is it not by our name that we are known? Now you're given a new name. You're given a new identity. You have identified yourself as belonging to God. So what does that have to do with fellowship? Well, fellowship means to hold something in common, right? People can have fellowship over many things. Sports clearly is a big one. All right, uh, apparently Formula One racing is popular with some people here today. Uh, hobbies, we can have so many things in common, all right? But, but there is only one thing that lasts forever and that is our fellowship in Jesus Christ, all right? We have Christ in common. We have salvation in common. We have the object of our worship in common. We have the focus of our ministry in common. We have the message of our evangelism in common. And this should give us a level of unity with each other that is unparalleled by any other thing that we can have in common. And this fellowship that we're talking about, this having something in common is symbolized, it is marked, it is made known to everyone through baptism. So every time we baptize somebody, they are saying, I am a believer in Christ And I want to belong to the fellowship of the church. And the church is saying, yes, we acknowledge you as a believer and we accept you into our fellowship. And then from that point, there's one more thing that characterizes the church, the way Jesus saw the church. The church should be characterized by discipleship. Discipleship. The very thing that we're commanded to do, make disciples. Verse 20 shows how that's done. Teaching them, to observe all that I have commanded you, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So when someone has believed because they heard the gospel and then has been baptized to the fellowship, it's time to teach them to be obedient to God and how to be obedient to God and how to follow him daily. Here's the definition of a disciple. A disciple is a committed follower of Jesus, actively growing in their faith, and preparing to help others grow. And that act of growth is the transformation of the Christian person into Christ's likeness. This right here, that has been God's plan all along. Romans 8:29 says this, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, right? God's plan was to form us to be like Christ. A few months ago, I did a, a very uh, unscientific survey um, of just random people. And I asked them this question. I asked them to tell me about a time in your life where you experienced significant spiritual growth. And three things kept coming up, all right? One, they were invested in by someone older and wiser. That they were invested in by someone older and wiser. Two, that they were attached to a close, like-minded Christian community. And three, that they contributed significantly to ministry. And really none of those three things should surprise us. That right there, that's what Jesus did with his disciples, all right? Jesus invested time in his disciples. He taught them about God. He answered their questions. Jesus lived with them in a close community. They truly shared their lives with each other. Jesus showed them how to minister and gave them opportunity to minister and literally left the church in their hands. And and that right there, that is what we strive to model in our church. We teach the word to people. We grow close to the church through small groups. We minister to each other and the community. Love Jesus, love each other, love our world. These are not just words. It's what Jesus wants us to be. It's how he saw the church. Jesus loves the church. He loves the church. So to wrap, a church should be characterized by worship of the one true God, by ministry, both within and outside of the church community, by evangelism so that a lost world hears the good news of Jesus by fellowship so that we celebrate having Christ in common and by discipleship so that people grow in Christ's likeness and can help others grow. And so today, guys, as you think on uh, this message for a second, I really want to call us to repentance. I know it's a word we don't dislike, but I want to call us to repentance on that very first thing, that aspect of worship, because I know that we often have other things in our life that we find to be more worthy than God. And those things tend to occupy the place of little G God in our lives. But why should we leave here continuing in that way? So let's let's confess that, let's repent of that, and let's leave here with God as the real God of our lives. Uh, Each week we like to uh, give an opportunity to respond to the gospel. There's bound to be someone in here who has never tasted the joy of salvation. They've never believed. And I invite you to do that today. And I'm gonna invite you to do that in this way. We're gonna have our pastors down here in the front, right? And if that's you, I would love for you to come talk to me down here or Pastor Danny or Pastor Ricky or whomever it is that's up here because we'd love to share with you more about that. Maybe you just want to be prayed over. I invite you down and we would love to pray with you. Or maybe you just need to, as as Megan, as my wife told me the other week when we were reflecting on how we closed last week, uh, maybe you just need to move towards God. And so I would invite you to come down to the altar. As Pastor Ed has said, this is going to be a house of prayer and pray. Maybe you have a specific need to pray for. Maybe you don't know what to pray for. And if you don't know what to pray for, would you come down and pray for Heartland Church today? We would appreciate that so much. You guys respond to God as the band leads us in song.